All right. Well, if you do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the 18th chapter of the book of Revelation. If you need a Bible, there's one on the back table. You're going to want to follow along, I think, and uh, that'll be a blessing, I hope. Uh, they're on the back table. Grab one back there. Revelation 18. Can you believe it? We're rounding third and heading for home. We have been at this, uh, well, I guess uh, probably for about 16 weeks, maybe maybe 15 weeks, 16 weeks, 17 weeks, right in that range, and we are almost finished with the book of Revelation, which technically would put Calvary Chapel, South Pittsburgh, all the way through uh, the New Testament. So uh, what a blessing that is, and we've now kind of flipped the page on Sundays, and we're heading uh, um, uh, back through Luke. That's where Calvary Chapel uh, in its Sunday services started in the book of Luke. So that's where we are. Where are we going to go from here on Wednesday nights? Well, here's where we're going to go. So we're going to go all the way through the Old Testament. First uh, Kings and Second Kings are tied to First and Second Chronicles. You know that, right? Uh, we're not going to do First and Second Chronicles on this round, we just got done with 2 Kings. We ran through Isaiah. We've sprinted through Isaiah. If you were there, we sprinted through Isaiah. We've uh, started the book of Revelation. But what we're going to do now is we're going to do Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah. How often have you read Ezra and Nehemiah? So if uh, uh, that's where we'll be going uh, next. We are talking about, aren't we? We're talking about the fall of Babylon, the fall of Babylon. That's what we've been uh, focused on here uh, the last couple weeks as we've uh, 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 done our, um, um, you know, our, our studying of the, of the book of Revelation. There's two chapters, chapter 17 and chapter 18 of the book of Revelation that talks about Babylon. Remember last time uh, I talked to you about this. Where we are in the, uh, in the chronology of a futurist's interpretation of the book of Revelation is, uh, we have uh, gotten uh, into this tribulation period, which is a seven-year period where God pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world and deals with and does business with the nation of Israel. Now, at the beginning of that tribulation period, uh, the Bible tells us, and we are convicted, uh, in a pre-tribulation rapture, okay? A pre-tribulation rapture where Jesus is going to come in the clouds. He's not going to come to the earth. He's going to come in the clouds and receive up his church, his bride, who will be caught up into heaven to escape the wrath that's going to be poured out for those seven years in tribulation. Well, that is true. Praise the Lord. And if we study the book of Daniel, we know at the beginning, or uh, what sets off the tribulation period, uh, is that there is a person uh, called the Antichrist. He's actually called a lot of different things, the little horn, some, uh, the son of perdition, uh, lots of things. But in the book of Daniel, it's said uh, that he is going to come on the scene and make a covenant, a, a peaceful covenant, some sort of covenant of peace that's going to kick off this tribulation period of seven years uh, of tribulation. Many people, and we've discussed this several times, believe that part of that 
covenant that he makes, that peace treaty that he makes, is going to be included in that, is that somehow, some way, he's going to solve that Middle East quagmire that centers over that Temple Mount area, and somehow the Jews are going to be allowed to rebuild their temple. Now, we went through several theories on how that could happen without knocking down the Dome of the Rock. And uh, if you didn't, if you weren't here for that, uh, you could get the tape. But anyway, the, the uh, Antichrist, uh, this political statesman, sets himself up as the one, the man of peace. And that begins that seven-year period of tribulation. Well, uh, we've gone through uh, the seal judgments. We've gone through the trumpet judgments. We've gone through the bowl judgments during that period of tribulation. But we also know, as we have been reading about uh, the Antichrist, that in the middle, in the middle of this uh, uh, seven-year period, at three and a half years, the Antichrist, with the help of the false prophet, who's kind of like the religious propagandist, I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I'm talking about, the propaganda person of this Antichrist's uh, campaign, he helps him to set himself up in the holy place and ask everybody on earth then to worship him. And in fact, take a mark for commerce and the Bible tells us here in the book that if you don't take that mark during the tribulation period. Well, uh, that is uh, what's happening. But what's interesting is, is then the Antichrist, after this three and a half years, when he gets people to worship him, it's very interesting because last chapter, chapter 17, talked about this scarlet woman and this scarlet beast. And uh, we uh, saw that uh, there was this one who was the mystery Babylon. In fact, if you go to verse 5 of chapter 17, it says on her forehead, a name was written, mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And it seems like, doesn't it? And we talked about this, that this religious one world system okay, comes together and solidifies itself, it comes to a head, solidifies itself, this one world religion leading up to and then the time of the tribulation to help the Antichrist kind of rise in that world and set himself up in the temple. But you know what's fascinating? As soon as he does, chapter 17 tells us he turns on the... Um, religious ones, and he doesn't, and he destroys the religious uh, one-world religion or uh, disowns uh, that uh, portion or that organization so that he himself will be the religion and be worshipped. I'm not articulating that well, but I hope you're catching that. And we said this, right? Who is Babylon? What is Babylon? Well, Commentators debate chapter 17 and chapter 18. Who is Babylon? Well, think about what Babylon was or is. It was a literal city in the Euphrates area. Remember that? And in fact, if you went back to Genesis 11, fascinating story. After the flood, men come together in Genesis 11. Men and women, humankind comes together. And what do they do? Well, they build a tower, the Tower of Confusion, right? They build a tower. Why is that so significant? Well, it shows 
the improper way to get to God. Uh, The Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, right? But what's the major problem of men and religious institutions? Many people believe we can climb our way to God with works and our own good self. And that's a lie straight from the pit. And that was set up back in Genesis 11. And so Babylon has come down through the years to mean that kingdom that's set up against God. Well, what do you mean? Remember 1 Kings, 2 Kings? Remember Isaiah and all the prophets? What happens to the southern kingdom of Judah? Babylon comes and conquers them and takes them out. Remember this? And there's several prophecies. You could go back and uh, after tonight, if you want to really bless yourself, go back after tonight and look through Jeremiah 51 and 52, uh, some other places in Jeremiah, where it's going to be prophesying almost as if it was prophesying about chapter 18 of Revelation, when in reality, in Jeremiah 51 and 52, what Jeremiah was prophesying about was the destruction of Babylon because of how it had mistreated Israel. And remember, many of these prophecies, remember this. Ooh, money in the box. No, I'm kidding. Remember, many of these prophecies have a near fulfillment and then a far fulfillment, right? And so you see uh, here in chapter 18 something that parallels Jeremiah 51 and 52. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, and you folks are, Babylon then is associated in the prophecies and the prophets with these sorts of things. Idolatry, abominations. When he talks about abominations, uh, he's talking about the, the idols that other pagan nations made, and the Lord was totally against idols. Why? Because it distracted from his worship. You say, well, my goodness, is he on an ego trip? No, 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 no. He knows that the safest and greatest place to be is to be worshiping him. Whether you're in this sanctuary today worshiping, or you're on the camera, or on the video, and you're worshiping, or if you're at home by yourself, you're out on your porch, you're in your den, you're worshiping, Oh, you're connecting with the Lord through the blood of the Lamb in praise and worship, and the Lord does something for you in worship. I can't fully understand it, but when you pour yourself out to Him, He comes and fills you up. So He doesn't want you to be uh, uh, an idolater, right? He doesn't want blasphemy or uh, uh, any of that sort to to take the Lord's name in vain or to do something that's um, you know uh, against the Lord. And see, Babylon represents that in the Old Testament. So what I'm trying to tell you is that Babylon is greater and has a bigger scope than just what you see right here in Revelation 17 and 18. It's a theme throughout the Bible. It was present also. So think about it. It's that system of world religion and commerce and politics that sets itself up against God's kingdom or God's purposes. You catching me? So it's bigger than just a city, Babylon, what Saddam Hussein tried to rebuild. It's, it is the city, but it's bigger than that. It's this, anything that's 
set up against the Lord. Now, in John's day, the revelator, the one who was writing this, what was the big Babylon? Rome. Rome. It represented all of these powerful uh, and uh, uh, things uh, that uh, would set itself up against the Lord. In fact, there was terrible persecution of his people, right? And then in our day and throughout history, uh, as the world system, we see all kinds of political and commercial and even religious things that set its, th- themselves up against the true church, the Holy Spirit-filled, operated church. You get that. So, that's who it is. What is Babylon? Well, Babylon is a, a city... I'm trying to give to you. (laughs) Uh, But Babylon is also anything that sets itself against the the Lord and his kingdom. And it appears in chapter 17. If you keep this, this will help you uh, keep this straight. In chapter 17, the Lord, uh, in his wisdom, dealt with the false church or false religion. Now, in 18, what it seems like the Lord is going to deal with is judgment against commerce, politics, those kingdoms that set themselves up against the Lord. You tracking with me? Okay, look at this. We're just going to read through verse 8, and then we're going to talk about the entire thing, but we're going to read through verse 8, okay? And then we'll pray again. After these things, verse 1 says, chapter 18, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. Man, angels are everywhere in the story of Revelation, right? And they have great authority, or this one had great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Pretty strong words, right? The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Catch it? And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen, and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So let me pray one more time. Lord, we need help. (laughs) <laughs> to uh, learn what you would have for us in these scriptures and even to the, to the re- end of chapter 18. So, Lord, by your Spirit, would you do a mighty work here and uh, have us learn what you'd have us learn and then go out and live it out in a dark and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wow, we got bells going off everywhere.
It's like Christmas time around here. No, I'm kidding. It's okay. It's a joke, okay? It's a joke. But uh, uh, all right. Check out chapter 14, verse 8 with me. Flip over to chapter 14, verse 8. There's a preview of coming attractions in the chapter about the Lamb and the 144,000. And the preview is, and another angel, verse 8, chapter 14, followed, saying, Babylon is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And you know, and I know, right, <clears throat> that when the uh, Antichrist, with the help of the false prophet, sets himself up in the temple, it's going to be right in the middle of the three and a half years. You understand that? Of the tribulation. You get that, right? Well, look, look in chapter 16. Chapter 16 gives us the bold judgments that generally happen in the second half of the tribulation period. Are you, are you tracking with me? You tracking with me? So when 17 happens, 17's probably right in the middle of the tribulation. 18 is probably happening during those last three and a half years, and most people believe right at the end of the tribulation period as the bold judgments are poured out. Is everybody still with me? Okay. Because we're now talking about this fall of Babylon the Great. After these things, after the bold judgments, or excuse me, after, excuse me, after he sets himself up uh, uh, in the temple and asks you, him to be worshipped, and then the one world religion is judged. We talked about that last week. After those things, there was still something else to have happen. And that is that there must be this judgment of this world, one world order, economic, political system. That paves the way. That paves the way for Jesus and his army of saints to come back. The system of the beast has been totally destroyed in 17 and 18, paving the way for chapter 19 where Jesus comes back to the earth with you and I. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. You're going to come back to the earth with Jesus and rule and reign. After these things, he saw this angel. Is this angel Jesus? Some people believe so. Other people don't believe so. Uh, 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 that other angel is another of the same kind. So it's probably not Jesus there. This is probably just another mighty angel who was bright, all right? And he cried mightily with a loud voice, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every uh, foul spirit, and a cage for every, uh, uh, for every unclean and hated bird. Isn't that uh, interesting? Whatever this system is, this city, this, uh, this spiritual Babylon, this, this um, unit, this uh, entity that sets itself up against God and all these major uh, economies and world economics. You see, what's behind it, listen to this, what's behind it, isn't it interesting? What's driving it are the demons. It's inhabited by those uh, things that 
want to set itself up against God. So we have to be really, really careful. We have to be really, really careful. Now, what what do I want to tell you about this? I want you to know that this has been foreshadowed in chapter 14, and now we're reading it, Babylon the Great, fallen, fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons. Now, just, just time out for a minute. It's a, an entity. It's this thing, this structure, the structures of the world that set itself up against all, or against the kingdom of God. Let me just give you one example of this. Go to Ephesians 2, 22, and just see it for yourself. What inhabits the areas of power or in, in commerce and politics structures, the enemies of our soul. They're, they're behind it. They're there with it. They're engaging with it. But look in Ephesians 2.22. What uh, is in the middle of the church? What do, uh, uh, are, are we in the midst of? What is in the midst of us? Ephesians 2.22 tells us that, and I'm struggling to get there in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You get this, folks? Listen to it. I don't care how many people come here. We're the church, right? We're the church here little, but we're the church in a broad sense. And in the church, God himself is among us. Isn't that beautiful? God is among us, and that's he's driving us. He's behind us. He's empowering us. He's the one that makes us go, so to speak. That's what we live for, is the presence of God. That's what we live for, the presence of God. And that's what we testify about, and that's what we think about, and that's who we glorify and make big, is the Lord, because he wants to be with you. You see how amazing that is? But in the kingdoms of the world... The political structures, the economic structures, the worldly structures that are set up against the Lord, that's not so. The enemies of our soul are in the midst of that. Well, you can see it everywhere, right? As long as you've been alive, you've seen the corruption in both the economic and the political world. I have read one of my favorite books is Grant by Ron Chernow. If you've never read it, read it, but it's about a thousand pages. It's a pretty long read, but it is an amazing book. And Grant, oh man, did some amazing things, but his second term, just scandal after scandal after scandal, right? And if you read all of the presidents, I mean, you're going to most, not most, but many of them, they've encountered scandals within there because this thing has gotten out of control. These structures and these great big important quote-unquote places and people, and in the middle of it is the one who wants to destroy and steal and kill. It's a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Remember the little bush uh, in one of the parables Jesus told, it was full of uh, birds, and Jesus said it was uh, the church. Well, he wasn't given, you know, the wheat and the tares story too. Well, birds in the in the New Testament are often a picture of Satan and his uh, minions. Well, anyway, for all the nations have drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. 
And that's talking about idolatry. Idolatry. Oh, come on, folks. Power structures, political, uh, economic. Are you kidding me? There's idols galore. Just hold up the greenbacks. Hold up the power. What are people intoxicated with? Power and money and wealth. It's everywhere. People will go to great lengths, murderous things, uh, to, to have it, and it's called fornication. It's that uh, intercourse with the world <laughs> and the world's power structures in the inappropriate way. And the nations drink of this wine of the wrath of her fornication. These nations get involved. We, uh, they get involved with the structures and the economic uh, uh, power uh, structures and all those sorts of things. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So not only the nations, the kings of the earth, these all have come together and committed these fornications with her. And the merchants, that's what I wanted to say, not just the nations and the kings, but the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. The kings love it. These power things, why do you think the rich get richer? They love it and they enjoy the luxury. And then I heard another voice from heaven. Look, shift gears here. Verse four, I heard another voice from heaven saying what? Come out of her. Of course, come out of her. Let me remind you of something. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Go to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at a couple places, and then we'll go back to Revelation. Let's go back to 1 John. Oh, my goodness. I'm going the wrong way. I'm in, I'm de- I went into the uh, uh, concordance back there, and I'm, so anyway, you're right. <laughs> First John chapter 2, if I can get there. First John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. This is, this is strong, man. We read this, oh, this is something in First John. We've read this a gazillion times. No, he says that if you're born again, if you're a child of the king, You're not to love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the love of the Father is important. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, look look at this, abides forever. Uh, Do do this with me. Turn over to James. Hopefully I won't go the wrong way. (laughs) but I kind of am, maybe. Go over to James. Remember chapter 4, James? Where do wars and fights come from among you? Don't they come for, look at this, for your desires, for pleasure? What are they talking about in in the book of Revelation there with the merchants, they wanted pleasure and luxury. That war in your members, you, ju- you lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight in war, yet you don't have because you do not ask. He just he tells us what sin can do. It's an amazing thing. Now, now flip back. What is the Lord saying right here in verse 4 as he judges economic and political Babylon? He's saying come out. And who is he saying it to? Well, I believe who he's saying it to directly are the tribulation saints, people who've gotten saved during the tribulation. He's saying and warning 
Don't get involved. Run. Whatever it takes, don't go and share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Now, why do you think he's talking about plagues? Well, the reason I kind of set you up at the beginning, chapter 17, I think, happens during the middle of the tribulation. I think, though I'm not dogmatic on this, I think chapter 18 is happening and coming to a head during the last half of the tribulation when the bold judgments are being dished out. You get what I'm saying? Because you say, well, wait a minute. The bold judgments are over. Chapter 16's over. Even I can figure 16's before 18. But I think what's happening here is he says, get out! You've been saved! But the plagues are coming upon them. So get out and make sure you distinguish yourself from them, right? For her sins have reached to heaven. Whatever's done in the secret, folks, isn't really in the secret. The Lord knows, which is okay for a Christian. You know why? Because as we've been saying over the last several weeks, as we've been calling, don't hide things. You want to live freely? Don't, who wants to live freely? I mean, seriously, don't you want to live free and a fully ablaze for the Lord? Well, live a life of transparency. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't Jesus say this? Agree quickly with your adversary. Agree quickly with your adversary. It's not hidden from the Lord, so agree quickly from the adversary. So when there's an adversary that comes to you and says, man, you said this and you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you know what you probably should say back? You don't know the half of it. I'm worse than that. And admit it, but you're saved by grace. And he's brought you up close by the blood so that now you can live free. Nobody has anything against you. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. I don't hide it. The Lord has washed me whiter than snow. And he doesn't count our sins against us. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. But the Lord knows, and he knows what uh, the economic and political structures that culminate here in the tribulation, but have been going on forever, he knows what they've been doing. It's reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. He doesn't remember our iniquities. He doesn't count them against us. And he says, render to her just as she rendered to you. Not only that, repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Just think about what sets itself up against the Lord. Think about this. Bible says God gives grace to the humble, If you don't remember one verse of the Bible, remember this one. What is it? Uh, It's in uh, James. I forgot it right now. James 4, 6. There we go. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Look how proud the systems and the people in her are. They say, listen to this, her sins have reached to heaven. What did, what did she do that was so terrible? Well, she was an idolater, lusting after things that, made, uh, that were more important than God. 
Think about that. Lusting after things and making them more important than God, that's idolatry. Anything where your affections are higher for than the Lord, that's an idol. Could be a husband, could be a wife, could be the kids, could be your job, could be money, could be a car, could be a vacation home, could be whatever. You get it? It could be all these different things. It could be all these different things. Idols, that's part of of the whole system that sets itself up from God. Don't you want to pray? Shouldn't we pray? Don't you want to pray to be a spirit-filled Christian and the Lord to advance his kingdom in our lives? Lord, get rid of all the idols in my life. What is it, Lord, that I idolize more than you? And Lord, help me to get rid of it. That's the first thing. She is a fornicator, right? Well, the second thing she is, is she's so prideful. That's why I went through. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud and forgot James 4, 6. Look, she renders to her paid double. Why? Why? In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. She makes pleasure and luxury more important than anything in life. Oh my goodness, folks. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Are you kidding me? Remember when that came out? Some of you are too young, but when that came out, people were transfixed by this. They got a glimpse into the lives of these rich people. It, Robin Leach and that show was a big time show and people watched it. Uh, MTV Cribs. Why do you think people likes that show or that stuff? Because they get to see all the opulent stuff that people have and, they, and we, we, we lust over it and all that sort of thing. It's what the world uh, conditions us to love. Instead of just living simple lives, to live these massive lives, to make ourselves feel more important. Well, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow for what? She says in her heart, hey, wait a minute, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow and will not see sorrow. You see that sets itself up against God. Therefore, her plagues, look at this, will come in one day. Just, just turn back here uh, into 16. Look at, look at the seventh bowl in chapter, or chapter 16, verse 17. He pours out his bowl and a loud voice comes out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it's done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightning and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Here it comes. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath wrath. Then every island fled away. The islands were decimated, knocked into the ocean, couldn't see them anymore, and the mountains were not found. They were knocked down. Do you think it could happen in one day? It's going to happen in one day. Her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Folks, you know these economic systems that have been ripping off people, the rich get richer, the young or the poor get poorer, and no, no, nothing's coming. Listen, it's going to burn. The political systems that have propped up the powerful and neglected or oppressed the weak burn. Well, look at this. It's so sickening. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxurious with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for, one an hour, for in one hour your judgment has come. Now time out again. If I didn't make this plain, I'm going to try to make this plain, although it's not plain. 
Some people believe that Babylon itself is going to come back into prominence before the tribulation period, that literal city. Some people believe because of uh, the uh, Antichrist being tied to uh, Italy and Rome that no, not Babylon, it's going to be Rome. Some people believe that in the first part, oh, by the way, and the Antichrist will set up his headquarters at these places. Some people believe that he's going to set up his headquarters in Rome itself for the first three and a half years of the tribulation, but move it to the city Babylon. And, they're, and so these commentators believe they're speaking of a literal city in which it burns down. Other people don't believe that. They believe this is just speaking of the systems that are in place called Babylon that set themselves up against God. You be a good Berean. Search the scriptures and come down on that. I think, uh, I think there is a mix of, of both, but whatever, the merchants of the earth, in verse 11, are going to weep and mourn over her for no one buys. Look at this. They don't really care. That, that's what the enemy's all about. He'll whisper in your ear, just, just do it. You deserve a break today. You deserve that car. You deserve that thing. You deserve this. You deserve that fling with that lady or that fling with that guy. You, you deserve it. I mean, you've been working hard and all that sort of, you deserve it. Well, look at this. But no one that's impacted in that world, listen, they don't really care. All they care about is how it upset their kingdom. You get that? The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Why aren't they sad about people dying and things happening and islands in the ocean and mountains? No, they're more worried about their merchandise. Now check this out. This is almost like you're heading over to South Hills Village and going to Macy's. Because watch this. What are they mourning, mourning about? Catch this. Well, first, the jewelry section. The merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I missed. Sorry. First, the jewelry uh, floor. Second, the apparel, every kind of or fine linen and purple silk. And now home furnishings, every kind of citron wood and every kind of object of ivory and every kind of object of wood and bronze and iron and marble. Oh, but now let's go over to perfumes and makeups. Uh, there's uh, uh, cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and uh, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour. And then let's go over into the automotive section, the transportation section, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and then this really awful thing, bodies and souls of men. What's that all about? Well, see, the political and economic structures are using people. They're on the backs of people who are hardworking, people who they oppress and manipulate so that they can make more money. And I think that's what that's talking about. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. The merchants became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear, and they'll weep and wailing and say, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in linen, purple, uh, fine linen, purple, and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. And every shipmaster 
All who travel by ships, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? The people who uh, work in the transportation systems, the logistics area, they're going to be like, oh man, it's wrecked us too. And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for when one hour she is made desolate. Now in 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Now I want you to be careful here. Listen, we know that the Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's in the book of Romans. And oftentimes us pastors will say, listen, you need to forgive and let it go because vengeance is the Lord's, and that's true. But see, I know and you know in your own life when you haven't let it go. You know how you know you haven't let it go? When you say you've forgiven somebody, but you, listen, but you really can't wait. You enjoy that they're going to get vengeance. I don't think that's what this is talking about. I think what this is talking about is there's no part of us that enjoys vengeance on anybody. What I think what this is talking about is rejoice over her, O heaven. God has avenged you. You're rejoicing in the righteousness and justice and majesty and wrath in the right way of God. You are rejoicing in who God is. That's what I think it's saying. We don't rejoice when any bad happens to somebody, even if it's an enemy. But you can count on the righteousness of Christ. Okay, that was kind of my side note. That was for free. Okay, here it comes, 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. Does it remind you of anything? Yeah, it reminds you of when somebody does something to a little child. Jesus said, you're going to get a millstone put around your neck and put to the bottom of the floor of the ocean. By the way, some commentators take me back, I'm sorry, when it talks about on the backs of the souls of men, bodies and souls of men, think this is an allusion to the pornography and sex trafficking problem that will be rampant in the last days. And oh boy, do we see that now. Okay, back to where we were. Uh, a millstone and threw it into the sea. A mighty angel took up a stone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall be not found anymore. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. Look at this. Here it comes. For by your sorcery, Babylon, all the nations were deceived. And the word there for sorcery is pharmakia, pharmacy, drugs. Is it saying they get fed them drugs? No, but what they did feed them was intoxicating to them. It uh, uh, lured them in and made them become addicted in a sense to all these great things that they could have. Folks, just, just go turn on. When you go home tonight, don't do this, but do this. Go turn on the TV and don't watch the program. Watch the advertisements. 
you'll be shocked because you know what you're going to find? You know what advertising is designed to do? Become a drug to you. You deserve this. There's a problem that you have. You don't look this way. You don't have this. And you need this. Not only do you need it, you should do anything you can to knock over... (laughs) Anyway, just you should do anything you can to get it. If you have to go in debt, forget it. Do it. But you need it now. And not only do you need it, you deserve it. So get all the shoes, get all the clothes, get all the, because you need to look right when you go out there. You need it. Listen, it's a drug. And the advertisers will tell you so. Social media, it's a drug. It's designed to make you come back to it over and over again. Not so you can enjoy the social media, so that people can sell things to you on the social media and direct your thoughts and your minds. Just Go out and watch the documentary, The Social Dilemma. Just just type that in and watch it. It's shocking. So by their sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all those uh, who were slain on the earth. I want you to catch something. Those who attack God's people attack him. That's what this is saying here at the end. Those who attack God's people attack God himself, and he remembers it. He will come and judge. Now, I want to just take a moment. Listen, you all know this. I'm preaching to the choir, but I think we need this in a big-time way here in America. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. This is dealing, I think, with the people who were involved in the tribulation period, the tribulation saints. And what the Lord's saying is, come out of her. Don't be a participant in that world system, whether it's false religion or one world government or a one world economic system. Don't be involved in that. But see, what the Lord is telling us too today, even if we're not finding ourselves Uh, in uh, the tribulation, is that we're to come out and not be a part of what the world's a part of and what the world offers. Do you know this? Listen to this really amazing story. I think you'll think it's amazing. I think it's such a commentary on human nature that it almost blows me away. Go to Luke chapter 12. I'm acting like you guys know where it is as I flip my Bible. Go to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is in the midst of this amazing ministry. He's going lots of places. In fact, my Bible from chapter 10 all the way through chapter 15, 16, 17. I mean, it's just red letter everywhere. It's Jesus just talking and teaching and bringing the disciples around, and they're talking to people and sharing the gospel, and he's uh, doing those sorts of things. And in Luke 12, unbelievable, he gets to this place, and he's lamenting, uh, oh, sorry, he's... um, talking to them about hypocrisy, all right? I want you to read the first line of chapter 12 of Luke. 
It's funny how Luke writes this, isn't it? In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, that's funny, innumerable. He couldn't even count these people. They're all there together. They, they had gotten there together, and they were so big that they almost trampled one another. He goes to his disciples and talks to them first, and he just says, beware of leaven. And then he goes and he teaches. Listen, he's teaching this multitude, and he teaches about the fear of God, chapters 4 through 6. And then he's teaching the disciples and others about confessing Christ before men, chapter, verses 8 through 11. And he's doing these amazing teachings about how you can really press into him. You, you get this? How you can really be close with God. How you can be so close through the respect and awe of God that when you get out and people are threatening to kill you, you won't deny me. You'll confess me before men. These heavy, touching, close together I believe love-driven doctrines or actions that you'll take in the world, his disciples, he's doing that, and then all of a sudden, verse 13, unbelievable, then somebody from the crowd, of course, human nature steps in. It's like, you know, you ever had this happen? You know, you're doing your devotion, man. So great. I mean, you're just uh, on cloud nine. I mean, you've done your devotion. You've read for an hour and a half. You, you know, you even might have even lifted your hand up, uh, I mean, and just prayed to the Lord. You were really spiritual in the morning. And you come out of wherever you're praying, and somebody just irritates the crud out of you, and you just blow up. Anybody ever have that happen? Okay. Listen, if this was ever a time for Jesus, for that to happen to Jesus, this would be it. Here he's doing all these things, he's teaching them, he's telling them about the fear of God and how they can confess me before men, and then this one from the crowd, this, the, the jokester, the guy that's got to be funny, but he probably was being sincere, says to him, hey teacher, hey me and my brother are in a dispute over money. That's what he says. And there's some different opinions about what he's referring to here. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. See, back in... Uh, Israel, if you're older, there's some uh, extra biblical accounts that seem to say that if you, uh, uh, you got an inheritance, the older brother of the brothers or the siblings would, uh, would uh, handle like the estate. And what he would do was say, okay, these are the amounts we're supposed to get. You, younger brother, you pick first. I don't know which brother this is, but apparently there's some dispute in the family. Ever had one of those? Over the dead person's stuff. And the, the brother says to Jesus, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In other words, sounds like one of the brothers is trying to take too much stuff, right? Now listen, Jesus has just been doing some pretty important doctrines talking some amazing stuff about the Lord, I would have blown a gasket right here. Jesus says this, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? In other words, do you know what Jesus is saying right here? And I think it's important for what we've been talking about in chapter 18. Jesus is saying, I'm not about all that stuff. That ain't my bailiwick. I mean, it could be. Jesus could handle it, of course. 
But you see, here's the point. Jesus came for something higher and greater than the stuff. Now listen, is it bad to have stuff? No, 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 no. If the Lord's blessed you with stuff, that's okay. If the Lord hasn't blessed you with stuff, praise the Lord. You're probably in a better position. But if he's blessed you with stuff, here's where you know whether it's an idol or not. Could you get rid of it? (laughs) Could you let your hand go with all of it to the Lord? Not that he's necessarily is going to take it, but could you? I remember, remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. Are you kidding me? One of the things that was determined after that story was Abraham would let it all go. You understand, Abraham was a very rich man, very wealthy man. It doesn't ever say in the Bible, I don't think. There's some biblical scholars in here. If I'm wrong about this, you tell me. I'll say, great. There's not really any evidence in the Bible that Abraham bought property. He brought alders. He he erected alders. He had servants, 318, 12 servants, and probably way more than that. He had cattle and livestock. He did have all that. That's not what I'm saying. doesn't seem like he had property. It seems to me that Abraham was a man who could let everything go. What really mattered to Abraham was not the wealth, it was the son. And the Lord said, can you sacrifice him? And Abraham said, I don't want to do this, but I'll do it. And the Lord stopped him. You know that. Not even the son was an idol in the heart of Abraham, which easily it could have been, or he could have been. Now come back to this. He says to him, man, who made me a judge? In other words, I'm not about this stuff. This isn't the stuff I'm here for. So he says, heed and beware of covetousness. Folks, he's given him a lesson. He's given him a lesson. Is it really worth it to fight with your brother about an inheritance when really at the root of all of this is the sin of covetousness? In fact, Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 7 said, you know, I was really good in the law. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he's saying. I was really good at it. But this one got me, Paul says. Guess what it was? Coveting. He couldn't get over. He coveted. And I got to tell you something, folks. So of each of us. We've coveted. And Jesus said to this guy, I'm not about that stuff. I'm about something greater and bigger. But beware of covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then Jesus speaks a parable. Follow along with me in 16. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns, build greater ones, store all my crops and goods. Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you're a fool. You're a fool. This night, your soul may be required of you. You might die just now. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So, listen, is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, God's saying, be rich in the things of the Lord. Don't worry about inheritances. 
I mean, if it comes your way and you can use it for my glory, great. But don't, don't get bogged down with that. That's just stuff that's on top of you that's heavy. Be rich towards God. Now listen, what does it lead to? Then he said to his disciples, 22, don't worry about your life. See, you do worry. You know what Rockefeller said when they asked him how much money is enough? You know what he said? Famous. You know what he said? John Rockefeller, richest man ever maybe. They asked him, how much money is enough? He said, a little more. You know, Rockefeller had a very difficult time. He secluded himself. He was, anyway, because he worried. It was stressful. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow to reap. God feeds them. And how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If then you are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is on the field and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do, here, here it comes. And I've been reading this for this reason. Here it comes. And do not seek that or what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. <gasps> they seek after the nations, the people. They seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But here, seek the kingdom. What do you, what do you want to do? To, to do this, listen, to be able to just let it all go. Could you let it all go if you had to? Could you let it all go? Jesus says, take and, 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 and get that death grip off of your stuff. And instead, do this. Do this, folks. Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do not fear, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And what is the kingdom, Paul tells us in Romans 14, 17? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. So sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which don't grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Here it comes, here it comes. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I always read that. I think it's backwards. I always say, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That's not what it says. It says, learn to treasure the things of God and your heart will follow. If you have stuff, okay, you have stuff. Are you willing to let go of it? If you're not, listen to me. I don't want to say it to you. I just want you to read it from the Bible. Don't be a fool. Learn to treasure the things of the Lord, and your heart will go that way. Folks, this is a matter of dire consequences. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. Me and Kai talked about this today in the car. I, I can almost hardly believe that Paul says this. Go to 1 Corinthians 16. You see, folks, listen to this. Christianity ain't about jumping through the right hoops, doing the right rituals, paying enough money into the box. 
I mean, some of those things follow. You know what Christianity is about, folks? It's about right there. Jesus wants your heart first and foremost. He wants your heart. My heart is easily swayed. He wants your heart in the morning, in the noon, at night. He wants your heart. He wants to know you and to have time with you. Why do you think he says, give us this day our bread? He doesn't say that. He says, pray, give us our bread, our daily bread. He wants you to come daily in prayer. Look at this. It's a matter of great import, and I'll close with this. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, right at the end, look what Paul says. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. You want to know how not to be accursed? Well, love the Lord. And the Bible tells you, as you unfold the Bible, how do you love the Lord? 1 John again, chapter 4, you love the Lord because he, here it comes. He first loved you. If you will learn that verse and all of its implications, you only love the Lord because he first loved you. What do you mean? God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, before the foundation of the world. It has always been. He's never a time that the Trinity didn't exist. God the Father. In perfect self-sufficiency and love and communication and communion, didn't have to create humans, but did knowing that they were going to fall and that he was going to have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile us back to the Father and still did it. That's how much he loves you. And even as we talk about it, just as I run through that real quickly, what happens to your heart? It melts. When we recognize that he loves us, we can love him back. Folks, Babylon's going to fall. Let's get to that place where there are no idols, including our wealth, our resources, all of it we could hand over to the Lord. Because God's called us to live a life purely worshiping him. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much uh, for these words. And I just pray that, Lord, that you would search my heart and search our hearts about things and stuff. Is it more important than you in my life, Lord? Lord, help us to love you, the giver, more than we love the gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys, and have a great week. And if there's anything we could pray for, uh, come on up, and we'll pray with you. And uh, I appreciate you wearing your masks. <laughs> God bless you all.